Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of Reconstructed Faith. Our host, uh, Colson, is not here, but uh, Chris Legg and I are here, and uh, we're excited about another episode dealing with, right now, um, just evidences. We're, we're in the reconstructing part of why we believe basic things like God. And so we've covered the cosmological argument, teleological uh, life itself. We talked a little bit about science, and then right. today we'll at least cover one more on... Um, Another good reason to think that there's a God. Right. And this is one of the ones you said you wanted to cover? Well, here's what's... Okay, so <clears throat> to clarify from last week, you're, you're a, you lean towards a young earth theory. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, of course, you, you hate science, right? Isn't that, isn't that the, <laughs> the obvious implication no, of that? Right, no. Um, no, not at all. Like, I... Again, I think... Even what we were talking about... Um, you didn't know I was going to do that. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but if it's... Um, it, maybe I gave this example before, but if, if, you're, if we're on the squad, the police squad, and the chief goes, hey, I want you to solve this crime, follow the evidence wherever it leads, but just know it can't be anyone who's on the force. Right. You would go, that's not fair. You're not being... <laughs> right. You're not able to follow the evidence wherever it we're leads. We're not so, being... Objective. Right, objective. So I'm totally for science as methodology, like what is the best explanation yep. and, and things like that. When I run, The problems that I run into is when people, it turns into science as philosophy that you have to come up with the right kind of answers. Right. We're not interested in truth. We're interested only in things that back up what our view is. And so that's where I just, I think that science is great, but it's only a way of knowing, and there's other ways of knowing, including right. what you're going to talk about today. Right, uh, that's right. Intuition. It's fascinating to me, and in today's world, it's become a huge problem. And I think you would think, <clears throat> especially hard scientists would be the most opposed to this, but is the way the word science is being used as a causational force? Oh, right. Like, well, what, what made that happen? Well, science, science made that happen. And as if science is a causational force, that's like saying philosophy made that happen or religion <laughs> made that happen. Like, no, those aren't, those aren't things. That, they have no causational power. Those are right. concepts. <laughs> I love that... Um, the video we referenced that's the the funny video. The <laughs> oh, the Babylon Bee? Where the girl was like, I don't know if you've heard of this. I don't want to get too deep or whatever, but science. Have you heard of it? And she's like, checkmate. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> As if that, just throwing <laughs> science out there proves. I thought that was yes. well done. And and again, it is a, um, it, we've talked about the sources of, of knowledge mm -hmm. and how empirical study is, a, is an important source of knowledge, is a vitally important one. And yeah. Those of you who are listening, I want you to notice if you listened last week and if you're more old earth like I am, but I want you to go back if you didn't notice that that what Chris was referencing was evidence, not just mm -hmm. well, I don't I don't care what the evidence says, this is what I've chosen to believe. And and that's to me, no matter where your perspective is on those, I I I I have a hard time respecting the lazy answer. Mm -hmm. The well, I don't I don't know much about the science, but this you know, but, but everyone says this or, but, but this is what the media presents or this is the, and, and that's not in my mind, that is poor science. Right. The main people who should be offended by that is the scientific <clears throat> community is to yeah. say, 
No, no, you're you're abusing our art. Mm-hmm. You're abusing our science. You're discipline. abusing us, our discipline. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's important. And the discussion at the level of uh, of evidence at the at the level of rational rationality at the evidence of mathematics. And, uh, and I, I enjoy being on the side of this conversation that is consistently deferring to this is the evidence I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am happy to have it explained away if you can do that either rationally or empirically or, or whatever. If you can help me understand where I'm wrong, I am happy yeah. to listen and, and happy to adjust what I believe. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a fundamental belief of, of mine as well. And I think it's funny that as I've gotten older, I'm more comfortable saying that. Yes, <clears throat> yes. Like when I was younger, I think I was scared or felt threatened. Mm. Like I said, maybe because of how I was raised. But um, I'm more open to like, yeah, I could be, I could be wrong. I, yeah. I, I need to be convinced, but um, I'm, I'm not worried about it yeah. or threatened by it, I guess. That was a, I was, I was in the weird, you and I were, were raised in a different, like in an opposite perspective in that I was raised by this environmental scientist dad who mm-hmm. <clears throat> was by far the biggest influence on me, but then also being around his colleagues and, and everything else that for me, I had to literally stay quiet about my opinions about the age of the earth almost anywhere. Because if I referenced saying, I think it makes a lot of sense that the earth is older. I mean, that's the kind of thing that could get you in trouble at, <laughs> when I was young at right. church, especially at oh, church. Yeah. But, uh, but I went to a private school too. And uh-huh. uh, for a while. And so anyway, that's a, it's an intriguing conversation that we're having. And again, I think part of what the value of this podcast is, is the recognition of it's, it's, it is okay to ask those, some of those questions and to engage in those conversations as long as you are doing it, you know, honestly and, and really digging into them. That's, there, there are great men and women uh, of God and science, yep. as if those, because we talked about is, the search for truth is the search for truth, yep. and the truth would never contradict the truth. And so when one source of knowledge seems to contradict another source of knowledge, our understanding of at least one of them is wrong. Mm-hmm. It may be our scientific understanding is wrong. It may be our understanding of revelation is wrong. Um, and so like you mentioned the, the, the word day, mm-hmm. which, you know, if, if we interpret the word day to mean, you know, whatever it is, slightly more than 20, slightly less than 24 hours, which is the sun rotation. And, mm-hmm. and you go, that's, and, and it turns out, no, you don't, it, it actually turns out in that situation, it's better to interpret it as a period of time. Okay. I mean, that's, that's not painful for, should not be painful to go, oh, right. bummer. I've always thought it meant 24 hours, <clears throat> but if a better understanding is it means a, a, an era. Okay. I mean, that's. I can do that. Yep. And and with the proper evidence, I'm I'm willing to make that move. I just wonder <clears throat> in all of this with people who have or are deconstructing, <clears throat> how many times that the issue of science or them thinking, well, if it's not this way, then I'm told everything's wrong. Right. Like that they that this hopefully yes. is freeing for them to be like, I that was one of my main things is I felt guilty or didn't feel like I could hold on to my faith and what science was telling me. And so I right. had, to, you know what I mean? I yes. just wonder how many people, if there's a way to take a survey. It is, it is, <laughs> it is bad enough for the naturalism, the science, the secular scientific community to demand that you choose mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. between science and religion. God forbid that the church force you to choose between science and religion. Right. That's not appropriate. The, the <clears throat> science is utterly dependent upon the religious yeah. movement. There would be, 
what we call modern science exists because largely of the church. The yeah. philosophy of the church, the mindset of an ordered universe, that is all Western Western thought that proceeds largely from early Christianity mm-hmm. and early Judaism. Like this, it is it is amazing to me that and and I love uh, I love getting to have the conversations with people about you know Isaac Newton. Who I don't know if you've read Isaac Newton's commentary on Revelation and Daniel. Uh-uh. Yeah, I, I, it's in the room somewhere with us. Like he was that serious a Christian that he wrote his own commentary wow. on the prophetic books. Yeah. Um, but Galileo is a good example of. Yep. The church being so scared of absolutely letting go of something that actually wasn't the idea that we're the center of the universe, <laughs> right. the center of the they just couldn't let that go, and so therefore Galileo was wrong. Versus, right. oh well, okay, let's look at what the science is telling us. That's right, and we're not threatened by that, but they were. They felt threatened. That's right. So it's it's really you know <clears throat> when they you know the when you do a Mendel square, and I don't remember his first name or where he's from, but you know this is a monk. The yeah. whole concept of the gene- our understanding of our fundamental understanding of genetics. Now we have a much expanded version now, right. but comes from a you know a, a Christian monk yeah. bre- breeding. If I remember correctly, it's pea, pea plants or beans or something, whatever it was. I think you're right. And <clears throat> and like so clearly it doesn't contradict Christianity or, or scripture or Christianity right. or, or or religion or even my favorite is the Occam's Razor when because Carl Sagan among others loved to use Occam's Razor as a you know, which which is more likely that an all-powerful being created everything and left no evidence of himself, which by the way is a contradictory self-contradicting statement. Uh-huh. Um, or or that everything came into existence by its own natural processes. And Occam's razor says all things being equal, the simplest solution is typically the right one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but that's Occam's razor. The man for whom Occam's razor is named was a monk. And he wow. considered it evidence for the existence of God. It was he considered it on the on the equation of like Pascal's wager. Yeah, that he said all things being equal, the simplest answer is usually right, and by far the simplest answer comes back to that there is a divine intentionality yeah. behind all these things. So I love when it, to hear someone in that in the secular world quote Occam's Razor to me, and then I'll I'll have them like, have you? Why don't you look that up real quick? I want you right. to Google Occam's Razor, and and it's a great anyway. I, they're not in contradiction, right. and we don't treat them that way. Um, we're willing to have the conversation. All right, so now one of the other sources of knowledge is intuition. Mm-hmm. And rightly so, it is treated as kind of the the weakest mm-hmm. of the sources of knowledge. <clears throat> that doesn't mean it is always a weak source of knowledge. It just means of all of them, it's the least, it's the least objective. Mm-hmm. By definition, it's a subjective source of information. And and this came to me, my understanding of this, the reason I talked about this, came to me when I was asked the question, what would it take for you to not believe in God? Mm. And and I had a whole series of, of things like, you know, if, if this was proven or if that was proven, I had a whole series that I would said would make it more rational for me to not believe in God or would mean the evidence points best towards there is no God. Mm-hmm. And and I had a, I have a series of answers for that. Um, now that would not force me to not believe in God. I mean, I can. I'm I'm a poker player. I can call when the when I know the odds are against me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm allowed to do that. I don't have to believe my odds of winning are better than losing in order to call a hand. Right. Um, that being said, I think these would be strong evidences against. So, for example. What would cause me not believe in God? That's tougher. But what would cause me not be a Christian? Those I have some very clear evidences. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you could find evidence that 
the body of Jesus Christ was discovered and found, and there's good reason to believe that, my theology would have to radically change. Yep. Um, and uh, that that's an example. That's a proof, a truth claim that I agree that at this stage it would be hard to contradict, but it would not have been hard to contradict early on. We'll get there when we talk yeah. Christianity. Sorry, I'm getting off. Here's but here's the intuition one. The intuition one is when you when you even if you did all those, I don't know how you're going to convince me that things don't matter that I think matter. Mm-hmm. And that's what I don't I don't know how what it would take to convince me of that. Um, when you listen to our conversation with um, David Smalley, I was going to go there. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Coming on. No, about his son. Yeah. 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 That. Well, his response wasn't like, "Oh, well." I mean, that's just the nature of the universe. People die. Mm-hmm. Like he was really like tough and wrestling with it, and we we're sympathetic. And that's just right. what we naturally do: is we feel like something precious was lost, right? Because there's meaning there, and we don't just go, "Oh, yeah," but you know. Survival of the fittest. Like we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Throw that out there, and right. that's not the way. I think most people talk, even if they don't believe in God, they think that love is a real thing that they're experiencing. Or right. So that is the. I loved it before. Before he came on, he had sent me something saying, "I don't. I don't know for sure I'll be able to come because my dog needs surgery or something like that." Uh-huh. And of of all the things for an atheist, you know, to do is like <laughs> you're getting you're paying to have your dog give your dogs. I mean, just. Get a new dog. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> right. it's like, what what are you experiencing that you're assigning meaning to yeah. here? I mean, because yeah. you, you believe you're assigning the meaning. There mm-hmm. is no abstract objective meaning here. Yeah. The only meaning that exists is assigned by us. It is there is none yeah. outside of us, and <clears throat> and that's what I would have to be pushed off of. Somehow, you would have to convince me that my love for my wife. Mm-hmm is really just a deep desire to pass on my genetics. Yeah. Um, and, and we talked with him, and we will discuss morality at another time, and, and it, you somehow have to explain morality within the midst of that, that. And I have decided not to try to pass along my genetics with as many females as possible. Mm-hmm. Even, and so something in me has committed. I mean, I am committing, I am risking genetic suicide. Um, by committing myself to one woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, I know you understand, I'm raising two other men's genetic material as my own. Uh-huh. And they're going to pass along his genetic material, not mine. Right. And yet I'm, I'm choosing to do that anyway. I have to believe that there is no meaning to my relationship with my wife beyond this delusional meaning I've assigned and called love. Yeah. <clears throat> that love's not real. It's just chemical stuff going on. That's right. It's it's just the desire to reproduce. It's about sexual preference. It's about whatever, and that's all that it is. And because if because if if there is no soul, there is no spirit. There is no whatever. Then then only what we assign has meaning. Yep. And and that my children, my love for my children is nothing more than a genetic preference for my own genetics. Um, that what I call love for them is is not. It doesn't have it. That's just a delusional word. It's yeah. just a word that I've used to assign the biochemical reactions in my body that feel somehow positive. That 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 my body wants to reward me for feel for having this experience, so that I'll have that experience more often, so that I can pass on my genetics, mm-hmm. and and nothing more. My love for my children is not anything more than that. Yeah. What do you think, <clears throat> as a therapist? Do you feel? that contributes to a lot of people feeling confused or lost or even depressed, like that 
if there's no ab- if, if there's no objective moral meaning for me being here, on initially it sounds fun, like oh, so I get to come up with my own meaning. But maybe then in the long run, back in the back of our minds, we're like, but there means there's really no meaning. So my what's funny is my immediate answer, Chris, was no, because no one actually does that. <laughs> I like, guess so. No one actually lives that yeah. way. No one. I maybe sociopaths. Okay. I mean, maybe maybe there are people who are genetically wired somehow in a such a broken way, or were nurtured in such a broken way yeah. that they don't assign any meaning to those things. Right. And but but everyone else does. Yeah. Everyone else does. And it's a um it's deeper than just a I you know, I'm uh my 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 religious belief encourages this or or whatever. People who were raised in nightmare situations, they still assign meaning to those things. Mm-hmm. Um and so either there is meaning to those things abstractly, objectively, transcendently, mm-hmm. Or there isn't, and you don't get to have it both ways. Right. And often in humanism, I, I feel like this is, they want their cake and eat it too. Um, no, no, this is, this is true. Because of my big brain, my love is different than the love of an antelope. Uh-huh. And, <clears throat> and that's when I ask, like, is it, so it's just quantitatively different. It's not qualitatively different. We're just more complex and therefore able to have a stronger sense of delusion mm-hmm. about we assign more meaning when there is none than an antelope does or yeah. than an amoeba does. And I don't know what a meaning as antelopes and amoebas assign to, to those things or if they do, but you're saying I assign. That's, but that's what I can't accept, that my friendship, what I call friendship, is nothing more than pack mentality. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe we are pack animals. And again, even as an evolutionist, I have no problem with some of that being passed down. I just don't think that's all that it is. Right. Um, and it's not merely a pack preference. I don't, I'm not your friend merely because I don't want to get killed by a bear in the night. Right. And I'm just hoping. And, and I don't think there's even any rational defense of it. I just don't. If, you, you would be a good choice, but a lot of my friends would not be a good choice to protect me from assault, right? I mean, it's like... They're not going to help. They're more likely to get me in trouble than I am to get help from them. Right. And so I have, I have, <clears throat> if the purpose of marriage or, or marriage, how's that for a delusional concept? The purpose of, of intercourse is nothing more than procreation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't even start down the path of, which I have this conversation uh, also, is that, is that there, there are, especially on the female body, there are organs that seem... At this stage, we found no evolutionary advantage to them, um, but they create they create sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. But females don't have to experience sexual pleasure in order to procreate, mm-hmm. and and so I actually see that as bordering on an evidence of a good creator as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whole other conversation, but uh, I I feel like that's one. Is that there is an I think there is more to our emotions than merely biochemical. They are biochemical reactions. I do not think they are merely biochemical reactions. Yeah. And I don't know how someone could convince me otherwise. That's what I don't know. Yeah. Because you would have to convince me of that. You would have to convince me what I call happy is nothing more than safe. Now, it is about safe, but it's nothing more than safe. Yeah. That what I call joy is nothing more than that. And <clears throat> much less love, kindness, forgiveness, friendship. Those are all delusional words assigned to a biological uh, fatalism, mm-hmm. and and that's what I, 
I don't know what it would cause me to believe that. I no. can't imagine it. But I think a lot of <clears throat> rarely you'll hear, you know, atheists be honest about that because a lot of them don't want to go that far. And I think right. I had read this quote before, but Bill Provine, William Provine, said this. Uh, Let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. There are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to be dead. That's the end for me. And then he says, there is no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning to life, and no free will for humans either. Mm. And he's, I mean well-known and well-respected as a as an atheist or a, as a professor and stuff, but I think that people don't like the hopelessness that that leaves you with. Right. Um, but that, that's what you're left with, that <clears throat> George Gaylord Simpson said, man is the result of a purposeless and natural process that did not have him, have him in mind. Um, Ernest Nagel said, human destiny is an episode between two oblivions. Um, the atheist <laughs> wow. John Baker said... Events in the universe may be based upon chance and physical laws that have always existed, and human existence has no other meaning than that we exist. Wow. And it just, it leaves you, if you're honest, it leaves you very hopeless and and a very bleak outlook. And yet I think you're exactly right that there's something in us that wants to fight against that, that wants to say, no, there is meaning, there is purpose, there is hope. Um, But, uh, yeah. That's just wild. And and it is a <clears throat> I was looking at the the um the others, the atheist Bible. And I did I did not I own a copy of it somewhere and I haven't spent a lot of time digging through it. But who wrote it? I don't oh. off the top of my head. I, I probably have a copy over there on the bookshelf. I'll have to dig for it. But it is um hmm. uh the good book is over there, the humanist Bible. Okay. I don't know if the atheist Bible's over there. Um but but is that the meaning of life is one of their chapters. Uh-huh. And and in it they acknowledge that they just say, since there is no given purpose to life, you have to come up with a purpose for life. Uh-huh. And and so that that's a what a fascinating like to create the light bulb, like Thomas Edison did uh-huh. as an example. What struck me as as <clears throat> and I, I haven't looked at this much in detail and, and maybe I'm giving somebody credit I shouldn't, but the the chapter six, the the meaning of life in this section it quotes, I'm not kidding, it quotes Douglas Adams and Isaac Asimov in their fiction literature. Like hmm. it's quoting, I have to go back and look at this, but it's it's the, you know, ro- the robot Marvin from Douglas Adams like huh. gives this answer. And they're using that as a, as a citation of what it's like to, be, to, to have to create your own purpose and uh, stuff. And okay. so, I mean, Douglas Adams was allegedly an atheist. I, I, I get that. Although he had some really fascinating things to say about life and stuff, but it, it doesn't, um, it, I am an, uh, the, here's one of the quotes. I am an atheist. That doesn't mean I have nothing to live for. It means I have nothing to die for. Hmm. And even that as clever as that's trying to be is, you know, Dr. King said until someone has some reason, something they're willing to die for, they don't have a reason to live, uh-huh. um, which is kind of, it's a take on Dr. King. It's a twisting of Dr. King's words, but that is the, so my willingness, that, that's a great example. I have something to die for. I have several things to die mm-hmm. for. Um, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends I would die for. I have a whole church full of people I would die for. I have family I would die for. And certainly the cause of Christ I would die for. Like these are, and as we're looking at right now, you know, like uh, what in the last 
day or two when Canada passed a new law about, um, you know, the, the conversation about same-sex attraction or, mm-hmm. or transgender stuff and, and to teach or talk or counsel a certain way can get you put in prison. And, I mean, it was an immediate, you know, my wife sees that on the news and is like, what if that comes here? What are you going to do? I was like, I, I, will, I will teach the scripture as it is written, mm-hmm. as the best I understand it. Yeah. And, I mean, she's already, what, what, do, what, do we, what will we do if you're thrown in prison? Like, I think we've got some time. I, I don't think that's, I don't think I'm going to get arrested in Texas anytime soon right. for teaching the scripture, teaching the Bible, much less, I mean, a lot of things need to change in America. Right. And then, in Texas too, because if those things changed in America, you know, probably would be living in the Texas, Republic yeah. of Texas. <laughs> but um, I just, this is one of the things that I consider one of the great mm-hmm. questions is, and by the way, if you don't believe in any of these real meanings, if you do believe in, and like that guy was talking about, the, the fatalism, and this is an aspect of atheism that people don't go into much, mm-hmm. um, is, the, is the consequence, and the serious atheists do, the Sam Harris's, mm-hmm. the the Dr. Krauss's, the even you know the people you're quoting there, like they acknowledge this means fatalism. This means we don't choose things. We think we choose things, but choosing something is an illusion. Yeah, we are no different than any other system. We're just a biological system. Right. And and we because we've accidentally evolved these big brains, we assign meaning where there is none. And so, therefore, we think we're choosing things. And they, they point to evidence like our brain seems to make a decision before our mind does, which, again, I'm like, you have a lot to explain there. But, <laughs> right. but, the, um, but that is, or why would we be any different than any other universe system, like whether it's planets or, or, or whatever? We think we have meaning, but the truth is we're just doing what our cosmic star stuff um, to quote Carl Sagan, is just mm-hmm. doing. I mean, we're just following the laws of nature like everything else in nature does. We think we're choosing something, but we're not. We're just following the laws of nature. Yeah, and that's, <clears throat> I think we were talking about that before we started recording, that that idea of determinism then also applies to the skeptic. Like the reason mm-hmm. you're an atheist is because it's just in your genes. You're genetically predisposed or wired to believe in atheism. And so why are you even arguing with it? But you, <laughs> right. but you actually think that you... You would disagree with that. I'm sure they would say, "No, I really think there's good reasons that I'm in. I became an atheist." But it'd be like, "Well, but you, but according to your worldview, right? What you're telling me, you just you couldn't help it, right? And, and you have they no don't choice like to accept that. Yeah, that's the when we talk about fatalism. There's biological fatalism, and there's the kind of you know naturalist fatalism. That's the universal. We're all just parts of the universe doing what we do. The biological fatalism, meaning whether it's genetic reigns or um, is it Descartes who talked about the bound up in genetic reigns? I think that's Descartes, but the, um, uh, or is it, you know, is it what I have evolved or what I, what I have to do or what, what my, that keeps me alive. There's nurturing fatalism, which is, well, you, you believe and do what you were raised to believe and do. And that connects to kind of the behaviorism we talked about. uh, B.F. Skinner's fate, behaviorism. But even the problem with that would be <clears throat> our atheist friend David Smalley is a right. perfect example of no, you didn't turn out the way you were like you you're right, not he didn't. religious. Right. Um, Michael Shermer, who started Skeptic Magazine, yep. had a Christian background. 
Right. So even that, they're they're pro- they're disproving their own whole idea that you're just a Christian because you were raised a Christian. Right. And it's like, well, you're you're a perfect example of no, that doesn't. That's not necessary. That you'll be that way. Yeah. And, and there's I, not an elitist. You don't, you don't get to be elitist right. and say these rules apply to humanity, but not me. Right. I I am choosing by my free will. Because right. I'm I'm one of the specials. Everybody else is just doing what they've been wired to do. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating to even consider. <clears throat> The, the ter- determinism thing, every single law that we have presupposes free will. Right. Like you had a choice. You mean like legal laws, like legal, like legal law. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry. Every every <clears throat> law assumes you had a choice between right and wrong and you chose wrong. Right. But you you know what I'm saying? Like in court, you wouldn't argue he had no choice. Like he murdered because he was right. wired that way. Like that just wouldn't hold up anywhere. But that's what you're left with. According to Bill Provine, there's no free. You really have no free will. You're That's just, right. You know. I don't know if you've seen in his debate. Sam Harris talks about because his his is a big his is the morality. He loves to discuss morality mm-hmm. in regards to atheism, and and it's funny because he says like, you know, Islam. He thinks of Islam as a blight on humanity. Like mm-hmm. it's it's terrible, and he religion as a whole, but he really hates Islam, and uh, and so he will talk about how it needs to be essentially outlawed. Islamic thinking needs to be outlawed. And people are saying, wait, but you're also a fatalist. So you think someone who's Muslim doesn't choose to be Muslim. Right. They are they are determined in advance to be Muslim. And even a Muslim terrorist is determined in advance to be Muslim terrorist. Yep. And he said that is exactly right, and we still have to incarcerate them to protect society. Wow. He's like, you're, you are right. They don't have a choice in the matter, and yet they must be incarcerated in wow. order to protect society from them. And I'm like, okay, so who chooses? Like, that is an immediate yeah, boy out. Who gets to decide? Like, <clears throat> what if the determination is that atheism is a blight on society? Mm-hmm. And so now we're going to listen. I know, Sam, you didn't choose to be an atheist. You had no choice in this. But we think atheism is dangerous. It's yeah. like Smalley talking about saying, you know, the guy's like, okay, your your demon ideas. We've got to get, you know, let's, let's finish this once and for all. Let's get you out of this system. Uh-huh. And so either we're going to answer your questions or, like, imagine if you started that conversation with, I know you're not choosing to believe this. I know you have no say in this. You are just wired to believe whatever it is you happen to believe. Yeah. And now we're going to change it. Yep. But you can't change it. What, what do you mean you're going to change right, it? Right. You're telling me, and if I do change it, then I guess I was wired to change it? I mean, how do you, right. how do you argue? Yeah. It, it feels so backwards. Yep. So going back to intuition, how do you do you distinguish between conscience and intuition? I like do. You, how do you distinguish that? Um, well, intuition is is just at, it's a gut level knowledge. Okay. Conscience, not consciousness, but conscience, conscience. would be a heading under intuition. Okay. And so, um, and all of I mean, intuition is open <clears throat> to change, just like any other source of knowledge is open to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, someone <clears throat> like when you're, you know, a great example is as you grow and understand morality, when you, you know, you go through those different stages of, you don't even think about it, you lie because otherwise you might have stopped playing. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you go, you, you go, okay, lying, bad. It's the, it's the, what we call in our house, the gosh police. When you teach your kids the first time, like, okay, don't use the word gosh. Uh-huh. You know, you're, you're six or you're four. Right. Gosh sounds weird coming out of your mouth. Don't yeah. use the word gosh. And then. They will become the gosh police. Uh-huh. You'd better never say gosh. In public, my kids have corrected other people. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. 
stop. Yes. Because they'll be like, ooh. ooh. Or they'll say something like that. I'm like, oh, okay. No. Yeah, we don't say stupid or shut up. Right. And and those become the S word. Yeah. And so without being trained, our kids will say like, he said the S word. And yep. like, no. Oh, gosh. Like, that's not that's not the S word. Right. Um, but, uh, and so you get to this black and white morality, and most people go through that. Yeah. And, and then you begin to have to unpack that at a different level of realizing, okay, actually there would be times when it would be morally appropriate and even almost morally obligated to lie. lie. Yeah. And, and so to realize we have to, we grow in that. And yet, so how does, we're, we're not uh, conscience. I would say the conscience is that's the conscience growing. Mm-hmm. Is the conscience goes from, I, I don't have a conscience about this to, I have a gut instinct to respond to this. This is bad. To, okay, now my, I can experience the feel of my conscience, and yet I have a decision to make that's bigger than merely my conscience. Mm. So I do think there is a genetic aspect to conscience, but I think it's conscience is also largely trained. And so, because you, you can have the same emotion. If you grow up um, believing that you're supposed to make your bed, um, then you will have a pang of conscience at leaving your house without your bed made. Mm-hmm. You do, it's not necessarily that you think that's a moral right or wrong. It's that you have a pang of conscience about that. Yeah. Um, and that can be true in religious experiences, like how, how much of a pang of conscience do you have if you don't bow your head and close your eyes during a prayer? That's, that's not commanded in the Bible. Right. It's just a, it's just a hey, this is something we do when yeah. we pray, or take your hat off, or you... And so how much pang of conscience do you have? And that's actually sometimes a challenge in a church generationally is... You know, someone wears a hat in the church, and some people in the room are saying their conscience should be triggered wearing that hat in here. Right. And yet it, it isn't because they weren't raised under that same set of rules. Or you're, you're wearing, we've had people leave the church because we eat in our great room where the, where the services are had. And people get, a, they're like, I've, I've just, I just can't do it. I cannot eat in there, and it bugs me that other people are eating in there. Yep. Like, I mean, obviously, because where the Bible says not to, I mean, it's not there. <laughs> so, okay, so Romans two. Yep. What 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 part of intuition or conscience would you say when he says people without the law do by nature? Okay, the things because of their conscience. What? How would you? So that concept of conscience, I believe, is the is the work of the Holy Spirit in somebody. The okay. the the innate knowledge that there's such a thing as right and wrong. Okay. And here's the problem. So. Here's what's difficult about even morality and ethics is it can be wrong to do what you believe is wrong, even if you're wrong about what you believe is wrong. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay. So you go, okay, I, I should feed this homeless person, and and I, I'm, I'm not going to feed this homeless person. Now, it may not be morally wrong to not feed that particular homeless person, but if you don't feed them, when you believe you should feed them, uh-huh. that may be the wrong thing for you to do. Okay. You still need to feed them because you are convinced it's the, that's what you need to do. Now, you may not need to do it. And the truth is, there may be an abstract sense in which you do not need to do that. And yet, your sense is, I need to do that. Mm-hmm. Then that's, I think that's what's being talked about there is the, that that's, we, we would, that's what we would call, um, what is called in philosophical terms, the warrant and in particular in Christian philosophy, the warrant of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is so is when you say, I believe the Spirit, I believe God is telling me this. And if I really believe that, I, I need to act on that. Right. I could be wrong, but if I really believe that, then I need to act on that. And I think that's what's being talked about is that when a 
you know, when a, when a, let's say a native American, an Incan looked up in the sky and saw the stars and said, someone should be worshiped for this. Well, they, that's, that is a con- that is the, that is the conscience of that God puts in them, the eternity in the hearts of man that motivates them to do that. And they ought to give praise and thanks to whoever is out there for this. Or even the idea <clears throat> that, again, that everyone seems to agree with that taking innocent life is, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like for the most part, everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty clear. Yes. But where would that, uh, where would that come from? That's, again, a, what a great example to watch the United States deal with the question of abortion mm-hmm. when you say, so you're okay taking an innocent life, and they will say, well, I don't, I don't believe that it's alive. Or, I don't believe it's a person. Right. And that's the new argument, because yeah. the person is undefinable uh-huh. <clears throat> or difficult to define. <clears throat> but they'll say, yes, it would be wrong to take uh, the, the life of an innocent person. Okay, so you're opposed to abortion. No, because I don't think they're a person. They don't say, what difference does it make? Right. I mean, there's, there's no such thing as right and wrong. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They still feel the need to defend their reasoning. Mm-hmm. And Lewis unpacks that so brilliantly yeah. in... in in uh, mere Christianity, yeah. when he talks about getting pushed or tripped in the subway or whatever, he's like, you don't, when someone gets up, it's like, Hey, you tripped me. You don't go. And right. You go, I am so sorry. I didn't see, like you give a reason, a good reason. you give yeah. it a reason for why you tripped them. Yeah. And you don't just go, eh, stinks to be you. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a good one, man. That's good. Um, a couple of other questions I've got for you. Do you think that this fatalism argument um, that they that that might be said like, well, you just you re, you believe that because you were raised to believe that, right? You believe that because you were raised in the United States. You believe that whatever, uh-huh. right? Is is that a would you file that under like ad hominem? Like, is it an attack against the person, or is it a genetic fallacy? Hmm. Like the source? How do you how do you engage with that question? Yeah, the reason I would say partly an ad hominem, which means to the man attacking the person. Right, <clears throat> as a logical fallacy, is it could very well be that uh, I was raised that way. Right. It has nothing to do with whether or not what I was raised to believe is true. Okay. So in other words, I could believe that the uh, earth goes around the sun only because my dad told me. Right. That doesn't mean that it, the earth doesn't go around the sun. Okay, good. It just means... Uh, my, my reasoning for it. So it doesn't, I guess my point is it doesn't automatically prove that you're wrong. It right. just tells me something about you. So if your dad was a, um, a dentist and, and you told me, and you told me flossing is a good idea. And I was like, well, you only believe that because your dad was a dentist. Maybe, but the question is, is flossing a good idea? Or right. if I'm a Lakers fan because I lived in Los Angeles and well, here's another example. If I were to say, uh, let's just pretend you're from Chicago, and you're like Michael Jordan is one of the greatest basketball players ever, and I were to say you only believe that because you're from Chicago, well, maybe you were raised as a Bulls Bulls fan, but that still has nothing to do with whether or not Michael Jordan right is a really good basketball player. That's a separate issue. Or you only think seatbelts are a good idea because you're in an accident. Like whatever it is, it's like. That, that has nothing to do with the truth. It tells something about you, but not about whether or not your belief is true. Yep. Because um, there, there's stories I know of people uh, who don't believe actually the dinosaurs ever existed. 
because of how they were raised. Right. And so my the thing would be, okay, well, that's an interesting fact about you. Right. That doesn't tell us about whether or not dinosaurs really existed. So right. <clears throat> I just think that it gets off on um, personal factors about you right. that, that, that could be part of the reason, but that doesn't still deal with truth. Right. Like your motivation for believing something versus is that belief true um, could be could be different. And and I mean, in other words, that would tell me something about you, but it doesn't tell me whether or not your belief is true. Right. So maybe you are a Hindu because you were raised in India. That doesn't tell me whether or not Hinduism is true or false. That's right. It's just a fact about you. Um, and it could be that you're only a Christian because you were raised in America, born in America, or in a Christian home. That has nothing to do with whether or not Christianity is true. So absolutely, those. Yep. I don't know if that's where you're going, but those no, are I think that's thoughts. cool. And uh, so, so when you say, it, I think it is vital that we do understand that when someone makes that, that they aren't they aren't making a point about the argument. Right. <clears throat> no matter how much it feels like they're making a point about the argument, if someone says, "Well, the only reason you believe is because of, you know you raised this or you this." That that may or may not be true. It is irrelevant mm-hmm. to the argument. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. And that's and it's okay to point that out. It's right. okay in a conversation to say, Yeah, you, you may be right, that may be why I believe. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with whether or not the case I'm making is sound. Right. Um and that's that's important. And the genetic fallacy of well the sor- the source is yeah. you know, where it comes from, you know, well, you know, this this guy has he, this guy has written other things that aren't right, right. so this thing must not be right. Um, or, or worse, like, well, yeah, that's like when we talk about the um, the witnesses of the women and saying that you know in that day and age, a woman saying it would someone might say, well, well, I mean, it's a woman saying it, right? <clears throat> they go, okay, that doesn't mean you get to ignore it. It's <clears throat> it's either right or it's not, and yeah. you don't get to ignore evidence just because it came from a person, a certain person. Um, that's when we talked about a few years ago when the, the first push, the first time I experienced somebody pushing that as a white man, I shouldn't be teaching from the Bible because the Bible was written by and for oppressed people. And I'm, I'm part of an oppressor people, not a part of an oppressed people. So I cannot understand the the, the Bible correctly. And I, I was like, well, I mean, that, that would be by the definition of a genetic fallacy. Yep. If I teach it as a white man, that undermines what I'm teaching. Yep. Well, not if it's right. Yeah. And so the, the question is whether what I'm teaching is accurate or right, that's what matters. That happened to me when I was doing a debate um, on abortion. <clears throat> uh, I was, this is in Southern California at this uh, univer- at this college on this college campus in this big auditorium. Um, right. It was really fun. But a guy during the debate pointed that out that because um, it was me debating against um, another man from Planned Parenthood, and his comment was, "I just realized I'm I'm going here tonight to hear two men debate abortion, mm. uh, and it's a women's issue." Was his was his point? There you go. And my argument, my response rather, was that arguments don't have gender. That's right. Right. Um, so a woman could use exactly the same arguments that I'm using, and um, if we're talking about a, an issue that's a human issue, it's not a gender issue. So our human lives being taken are, and even our women 
I'm defending women's rights here. If women are being killed as well. Right. Um, but it's like me saying, um, you can't say the Holocaust was wrong because you're not Jewish. You'd go, oh, that has nothing to do with it. Right, right. Or, or you can't speak out against slavery or, or racism because you're not, you're not black. It'd be like, right. no, that has nothing to do with it. Um, because, again, arguments don't have, don't right. have gender. Or ethnicity or, or yeah, whatever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And even with that line of thinking, I told him, you would have to throw out Roe versus Wade because right. it was decided by nine men. Right. And no one wants to throw Roe versus Wade because right. they, they want to hold to it. So, Five? What? Was it five men? I thought it was nine. Is it not nine? No, Supreme no. Supreme Court? But it wasn't at five to four? Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't remember if it was five to four or oh, six to three. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah. Um, anyway, this, this whole question of intuition was uh, the conversation initiating for me what would cause you to not believe? And and then running into the uh, the kind of infamous uh, Nietzschean quote of, you know, the big dark secret behind it all is that there is no big dark secret behind mm-hmm. it all. And mm-hmm. um, and realizing I'm, I, I don't know what would ever motivate me to accept that mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. I, I don't think, <clears throat> and I think there's too much evidence against it. E- either we are so irrational um, what would possibly motivate? I I even think of the the conversation, like we said, with me, the two the two of us meeting with Smalley in here the day what the day before Christmas or the day before Christmas Eve or something like that, whatever it was, the twenty third. Two, no, two days after Christmas. Two days after Christmas, twenty seventh. <laughs> that's right. And and going okay, what what is motivating? It'd have been a fun question, but we, again, we wanted to listen more than anything else to ask. Why are the three of us here? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is motivating us to be here? What meaning do we assign to this? And where does that meaning come from? And I know my answer. I have a pretty good guess at your answer. But but I really do think there's meaning in this. There's meaning in me spending the time and us spending the time to invest in other people, some of whom we've never seen, we'll never meet. But why would I want to invest that in someone who doesn't even agree with me? Right. Um, I don't see how that offers me any advantage, and yet... Certainly, even more so perspective from his perspective, but yeah. um, and I, I think, think there's something to it. <clears throat> with a lot of people, and again, I don't know a whole lot of people who are deconstructing their faith. I think a lot of, <clears throat> if a lot of their reasoning is um, more moral reasons, like mm-hmm. God, what the what you Christians are saying about um, homosexuality or people who suffer, all those things are actually evidence that you care. Like that there should be some kind of an explanation mm. and there's not that there is there is purpose, there is hope, there is meaning, and you do want justice and all those things that you're feeling right. are actually showing that you all of this stuff really does matter. I I don't I mean I don't know what percentage of them are just, you know, pessimistic right. about all of life and it's all meaningless, but I think they want it to have meaning. A lot of times I think it's they just don't like <clears throat> what what God does, or they just don't have a, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Okay. It even makes me wonder, like, at what point are people going to be able to to step back into, I'm, I'm willing to accept all of this, even if I'm uncomfortable with this belief, or even if I disagree with this belief, that that I don't have to deconstruct everything in order to feel uncertain or discouraged or even even angry mm. about certain things. Yeah. And uh and again that's part of what we're here to talk about is 
is that's a good, it, it is okay for us to have those conversations in humility and then, and then be willing to engage with, at some point, if I'm in disagreement with God, then I'm going to have to accept me being the one who's wrong. Yeah. <clears throat> and so we will have to spend, luckily we're not in a hurry, um, but we will need to spend at some point probably, I don't know, you think it'll probably be in the later spring after I get back from sabbatical and stuff, oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, to really unpack why I have confidence in the Holy Bible yeah. as revelation from God. Um, Authoritative. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that will... It was interesting, Dr. Uh, um, Dennison, this Sunday, mm-hmm. referencing you know the four kind of earthquakes. And uh, I, I think he started... I, I actually, and I haven't talked to him about it, and I, I will... I, I think his earthquake number one is like earthquake number six. Like what he calls number one, I'm like, yeah, that's like the sixth in line, I think, which was a a a uh, moving away from scripture as yeah. authoritative. And and so uh, and he even referenced that he goes, I could listen, I could go into the roots of this all the way back to Nietzsche mm-hmm. and Kant and, and all these other philosophers. And and uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think something significant happened in the church when so many aspects, so many wings of the church began to say. I mean, it's a lot of wisdom here. Some great, it's a great guidebook, mm-hmm. um, but it's not authoritative. And that, that was a step of deconstruction that was... Have you ever read The Great Evangelical Disaster <clears throat> by Francis Schaeffer? I have not. Uh, the whole book, Schaefer. the whole book that he talks about is the church departing from God's truth um, is a huge, he calls it a watershed moment. And he gives a really great example because he's, living over in Europe, right. of a legitimate watershed where the rain comes down on a mountain, and he right. named it. I don't even know all this exactly, but he said on, if it lands on the mountain and it goes to the uh, this side of the mountain, then it flows down into this thing in this river, and it ends up in this ocean. Yep. But when the rain goes on this side of the mountain, yep. it goes into this river and goes north and heads into this. Yep, that's what a he, watershed is. And he talks about how it's just you know, a thousand miles apart. Yeah. But it landed on the same mountain, but that dividing line right there. And that's what he goes on to talk about is at that point of demarcation, where if you go with the Bible is an opinion, right. People's thoughts about God versus God's revelation to us. You're going to end up miles apart in, um, in so many ways. So it's a really good book. It's called the great evangelical disaster. Cool. Sounds like a winner. Yeah. Alrighty. I think that'll do for um, for now, and we will uh, we'll pick up with you guys next time. Next time, alrighty. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info@southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.